Welcome to the One of a Kind podcast, the show where we explore the stories we tell ourselves and the moments that got us here. I'm Nisi Duran, and I hope today's conversation gives you something to smile about. Welcome to the 17th episode of the One of a Kind podcast and the very first episode of 2024. 2023 was such a pivotal year for me and I am so thankful to everyone who came on this journey. I hope these honest conversations have helped you in some way. I have a very special guest to kick off 2024. He is my brother from another mother and you are going to fall in love with his heart and his hustle. Matt Tufor is the co-founder of Toasted Life, a dynamic lifestyle network and event production engine founded in 2015. Operating in key markets like San Francisco, Oakland, New York City, Chicago, Atlanta, and Los Angeles, Toasted Life fosters community and provides a platform for social and professional expression. In 2018, they expanded globally, organizing events in Kenya, Ghana, Tanzania, and Canada, transcending borders and uniting creatives, professionals, entrepreneurs, and cultural enthusiasts. Toasted Life's achievements have earned recognition in Forbes, the SF Chronicle, The Source Magazine, and Black Enterprise. Before co-founding Toasted Life, Matt began his career in the tech industry, which is where I met him. He has spent time at Google, YouTube, and is currently the Global Community Marketing Manager at Eventbrite, focusing on developing scalable programs for the next generation of event organizers. He is a driving force in the world of events and community building. In this conversation, we discuss his unexpected first job in tech, how travel can help us grow, how entrepreneurship is a way of life, and he shares a beautiful story of his time at Morehouse College that convinces me that we must be more intentional about investing in both gratitude and community. Matt is an amazing friend, and even though I literally never know what time zone he is on, he always makes sure that we have our monthly catch-ups where we can laugh about life and cheer each other on. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So how long were you at Google before I met you? Um, I started in 2011. And actually, before that, I spent a summer at, at Google. And I won't, I won't go into that story, but uh, do you remember? <laughs> I don't know we don't have to if you pod, don't want to. Podcast say, you know what, forget it. We're, we're on you know, a very special podcast, one of a kind. So I'll, I'll go into the story casually. But um. So yeah, I, w- I went to school at Morehouse in Atlanta, um, and I studied finance. I actually had the chance to to come to Google for for a summer. When I joined Google uh, in the program, they don't necessarily tell you like where you're going to land. They don't tell you like they tell you kind of the broader program, which was sales and advertising. You know, AdWords, where Google makes all their money. They don't really tell you like specifically where. So I remember maybe like. A week before I get there, I get this email and it's from my manager. And he's like, his name was also Matt. And he's like, hey, my name's um, You know, I wanted to reach out to you. You know, you'll be working on some adult projects this summer. And I'm like, oh, snap, yeah. I remember. That's uh, <laughs> coming back. Right? Keep going, keep going. <laughs> All right. Um, so, of course, like my initial reaction was like, hey, yeah, I'm not this 20 year old kid, or I'm a, you know, I'm 20, 21. I'm going to work on adult projects. I'm at this big company. So it didn't click. We have this onboarding and there's hundreds of kids in this room. You know, they flew in all the interns from around the country and we're, we're doing this paperwork. And we kind of all hit this clause at the same time. And they mentioned, 
hey, you might come across some uh, like, you know, non-family safe like content while you're at Google, right? Everybody's kind of like chuckling and giggling and stuff like that. And it still doesn't click like where I'm <laughs> going to be spending my entire summer. The director of the program comes over and she's like, hey, Matt, you know, we're super excited to have you. I hope your manager reached out and kind of gave you a heads up like where you're going to be um, working this summer. And um, like, I hope that was okay with you. We didn't necessarily like get your permission, but we hope you're okay with it. We thought you were mature enough. And, um, you know, you'll be working on the adult team. And I'm like, and just boom, it just clicked. Like, <laughs> I'll be working on the uh, pornography, side, pornography side of, of Google um, without necessarily having a say. At that time, Google made, you know, a little bit of money from all that. That's awesome. So what does that mean? Yeah, what was your job exactly? Yeah, so um, there was a lot of porn advertisers <laughs> that would, would spend their money with Google. Um, oh. And of course, you know, these were, you know, some of the biggest players in the space. Um, they're buying display, well, they're uh, mostly buying like search ads from us. Most of our time was spent like meeting with legal. Like, you know, I think Google obviously knew the risk of like, you know, we can't really go as deep as we want in this space, but there's still millions of dollars for us. Um, but yeah, I literally spent my, my first tech job was in porn, believe it or not, um, <laughs> as a 20 year old. You were the only intern that was selected to be part of that team, right? And how big was the intern class? Uh, it was hundreds of people. Yeah. I was the only intern. It was literally an experiment. Like they told me, they're like, Hey, oh. this is, we've never done this before. Like oh, snap. some people told us, no, some people told us let's go for it. Um, so we want to see how this works out. And um, it made me a very popular intern. <laughs> Everybody wanted to come to my desk. And Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because they picked you, you know, and I think you said something along the lines that they said you were mature. And I mean, you do give off that vibe of mature, responsible, knows what's up. Do you get that a lot from people? I appreciate that for sure. I mean, I guess it depends who you ask. If you ask my mom or probably my wife, I'm sure it's completely opposite. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's what they're getting at. You know, I think they just, uh, you know, they knew. I think they even said, like, we met you in person. We didn't meet all interns in person. But uh, I was hoping it wasn't other things that signaled that <laughs> I was going to be. Avid user, expert in this realm. <laughs> right, right. Versus my maturity. So um, yes. we'll go with that story. Something that um, strikes me a lot about you specifically is how much you like to travel. When did you know that you wanted to travel so much? Probably my, through my parents, maybe more oh. through my dad. So my dad's West African. He's, he's born and raised in Ghana. I think he came to the States probably around like 20, 21, 22. I mean, his side of family is huge. Lots of aunts, lots of uncles, cousins. Um, so there's always weddings, graduation parties, you name it. Um, but always people around us speaking different languages, you know, from different places, even my Ghanaian family, they're in Toronto, they're in London, they're, I meet family every, every year, literally. When I realized how different my African side was from my Black American side, <laughs> right? Um, but I think it just got me really interested in the world, right? I made a, a big goal for myself, who knows if I'll get there, you know, but, um, you know, maybe one day, 100 countries would be really, really awesome. 
but um, I think I'm about halfway there. I might have to really? you know, bring out the pen paper. I think I'm at around 50. I think so. You can do 100. So, boom. Let's go. Yeah. I'm with it. And why is yeah. that the goal? Is it just, um, was it an aspiration to just hit as much of the world as possible? Yeah. I mean, definitely just a complete made up number, 100%. Yeah. But I think, uh, like, I definitely have a passion for travel, seeing the world. Um, I think when most people travel, they don't necessarily travel for the experience. They travel for like the product of traveling. For example, going to to the Statue of Liberty, they're really there for the photo. (laughs) Yes. Yes. In the Golden Gate, they're really there for the photo, not necessarily like the, the full experience. Right. Versus. You know, and actually, you know, and I've been victim of this too, right? Like I remember I went to London one time and me and my buddy were like, what are we going to do? We're like, let's go to the, um, oh man, I'm blanking on it. Um, Stonehenge, <laughs> right? right? Which is like this way, you know, first in my mind, like it was synonymous with going to the UK, for whatever reason. And when I realized when I got there and I'm asking all these British folks, like, how do I get to the Stonehenge? Like no one knew what it was. And I'm like, am I saying this wrong or this and that? And when I got there, of course, it was just for a photo. We got on the bus and we left. Um, so I think it's it, it, it's really important to like when you're traveling to like focus on the experience of it, use it as a test for yourself to kind of shake up maybe your existing routine like back home, or to learn about somebody new, or to yeah, learn about yourself, right? And not all these places are going to be places where like I love this spot, I love this spot, right? But I think not knowing what you like is also valuable too, right? Um, because, you know, you kind of come back and say, like, I'm not really into these things or I'm not really into that. And you kind of bring it into your life also. You said that when you travel, sometimes you're learning about yourself and you bring it back in. Do you have an example of doing that? One, I'm an entrepreneur. I think just naturally like at heart. So I am always looking at like, how does business work? Like, what do people care about? Like, why do they do things this way? Why do we do things maybe this this different way? You know, I think, especially when I travel maybe by myself, it's it's not a comfortable sort of thing, right? Like, it's not like usually, yeah, it's definitely not a comfortable thing, right? Like, sometimes you're going to dinner by yourself, right? And you're at this fancy restaurant, you see all these people having a great time, but it allows you to just, I think sometimes you need to, be put in those situations so just grow sometimes you'll just see things differently sometimes when i eat i don't necessarily eat with somebody else like i'm so focused on the conversation less of like i mean to really how they presented something or how they're working in the kitchen right so i think it just slows down things for me and um it just gives me more clarity in terms of just you know it allows me to be more present i guess you mentioned that travel impacted how you approach entrepreneurship as well. So, and that you, you called yourself yeah. an entrepreneur. Have you always been an entrepreneur? Um, I, I would say like generally probably yes. I don't think I like even knew that there was a word for it probably that, that early. But yeah, even in, in Ghana, right? Like I think it's just part of the culture to like be an entrepreneur. Right. I think even you see a lot of like wealthy doctors in the country or even politicians, like they all have like other businesses. Right. Just looking back at just when I was young, I was always had my hands in something, um, whether it was like lemonade stands as a super young kid. And I would like set up and I grew up in Shaker Heights and there was like a little 
like triangle <laughs> where like three rows would kind of connect and there's a big high school right there too and i would just set up maybe at like four or five o'clock with my lemonade sign and hope that like the football players after they would practice they would come to my lemonade stand where people kind of hit me from like maybe some of these streets but um sometimes it really wasn't the money like again i was probably making like 25 cents 50 cents but it just felt fun to me you know some people are like really into sports they they wanted to know like lebron james stats and steph curry stats like i was always into just business in the same way that people were like passionate about those other things right like i wanted to learn about these entrepreneurs and these people building these crazy things um because i just thought it was fun to build something from the ground up that was getting my question i was wondering if it was about the money or is it more about the experience and it sounds like it was more about the experience um is there an entrepreneur that you really admire there's been one that i, I haven't met yet and and it actually was my uh my father's grandfather or my father's father oh and he you know i didn't really i never had a chance to meet him right um he passed away my father's by like i think he was a teen or maybe a little bit oh. younger um but just like hearing you know i just recently like i wanted to like sit down to like learn like just more about his story right and i would hear like different pieces but like never really had like, a holistic like sort of thing and my dad was telling me he's an entrepreneur and i was like oh that's really interesting right and he would you know he grew up in ghana obviously and he would uh he would like trade different things and go up and down the coast of ghana and trade with like the british you know obviously it was a british colony i thought that was really interesting i'm like wow you know without me even knowing you know a little bit of that is also like in me right um so i thought that was just kind of special and, and just pretty ironic but you know he's an inspiration and unfortunately he never he never cost back but it's easy in my blood the nature versus nurture it feels like both of them were applied for you like it's in you and then you also saw it in your experiences with your family and mm-hmm. your culture yeah. do you want to say a little bit about what um what your businesses are so i founded a company called toasted life Toast of Life is a event and lifestyle brand. Um, you know, we kind of we started in 2013, but I think officially, you know, with getting our paperwork together and all that, 2015, I came to California to work. Um, so I got that offer after my internship to come back to Google. And before I knew it, like I was so heads down and I'm like, crap, I don't even know the cool places in Oakland where I was living. I don't know, like the the cool restaurants. I don't know the bars, this and that. And I'm like, I've been so heads down, focused on just like work, work, work that, you know, I've been kind of leaning on like my, my work friends, but it may be some of the alumni that came out from my school that I didn't necessarily like have my own like circle. Right. <laughs> and, you know, as I started like focusing more on that, before I knew it, a lot of people were like, I'm going back to New York. <laughs> the Bay is not for me. I'm going back to Atlanta. I'm going back to Houston. And I felt like I was losing so many like other friendships that I like, put a lot of time into. Um, and I was just like curious, like, like why? Like, why is everybody leaving, right? Um, and it was mostly because of community. Right? And, and not to say that the day is like, not diverse. It's like extraordinarily diverse, right? But I think as an outsider, like you have to put a lot of effort into like meeting people, <laughs> right? Yes. And to just kind of like finding your place, right? And it's even harder like after 
you graduate because college, you know, everyone's your same age. Everybody's focused on the same thing. So, um, you know, my hunch, you know, I teamed up with a buddy of mine named Warren. We're like, hey, you know, maybe just let's just create environments where we bring these people together, right? And forget the money, just like, let's just build the space. And that's what we do. So we, we started with day parties, evolved into like night parties, evolved into like doing panels. Like we started realizing who was coming out. Like it was a lot of people that, you know, the two or 3% of Silicon Valley in terms of like the black around folks, right? Was our 90%, right? Like this audience that, you know, almost felt non-existent when I was working at these places was the audience that we were catering to, right? We lifted up all those rocks and, you know, we, we, we found those people. Um, and uh, it, was, it was awesome. Like I realized like my network was growing. People started finding like their friends, finding roommates, finding um, loved ones. Like we, we actually get messages about people like getting engaged and getting married and having kids. Like really awesome to see, right? Not what our intention was at all, but like a byproduct of it. The biggest takeaway for me was you said you helped create a community for folks and then that just, things naturally kind of expand from there. But you also said it wasn't even about the money, right? I think that's the other part. I think people probably can feel that you were genuinely passionate about creating this community. So they want to be a part of it, right? Yeah, I think I think the fastest way not to make money is to chase the money, <laughs> just in business in general, right? Like you're so consumed with it, it, it might not ever come, right? Um, if you build a product that's like so valuable and that there's truly a need, then you'll, you know, you, you're you my longevity. I mean, again, I keep bringing up Google because, you know, obviously that's where we first met. But like I'm, I'm assuming that they build the search engine without necessarily knowing how to monetize it, right? They're like, let's build this very solid product that people can't live without. Yes. And the money comes second. And I think a lot of people, some entrepreneurs don't have that liberty, right? Because it's like, crap, I'm all in, right? But, um, you know, I guess when we built Tulsa Life, we, we also had a full-time job, so we could take our time with it and we could just really focus on what we were building, right? And all that other stuff was secondary. Um, and yeah, I mean, right now, like I was full time briefly, my business partner's full time, we have a bunch of contractors. Um, so there's a lot of people like relying on the business now and, and it's it's generating revenue. Uh, obviously, even like higher expectations for the brand, but um, you know, we had amazing last year, like better than I ever could expect. Um, and even um, like what we made through the business was, was was higher than what I even made working in tech at Google and YouTube, right? So I think that was just a big moment for me. Like, wow, we've, we've come a long way <laughs> from 2015, 2013. And, you know, we we stuck to the path and, you know, we, we, we built something, right? And now it's trying to figure out what's our shelf life, <laughs> right? And making sure that there's another 10, 20, 30 years of this. But, um, yeah, it's been, been fun. Congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. What advice would you give someone who wants to do? It was initially like a side hustle, right? I guess because you had a full-time job. Cool. So, and then it became a full-time thing for a bit. Like what advice would you give folks? Hmm. I think, I mean, it sounds very simple, right? But like, just start, <laughs> right? 
I think some people get so focused on either like holding on to the ideas too tightly or like doing all this crazy planning or like, all right, I'm going to roll this out in in two, three years versus just like starting today. Doing it. (laughs) Right. And if you start today, even if you start with a very mediocre idea, best believe with starting today with a year, you're going to flesh it out to a whole nother level. Right. And you're probably going to be ahead of where you were if you just held on to this idea and try to like flesh these hypothetical things out. Right. Um, and I mean, even like probably a horrible analogy, right? Like, like a pine tree, <laughs> right? Like it takes 30 years for a pine tree to grow. Right. It's a, it's a big investment. So the best day to grow a pine tree was unfortunately like 30 years ago. Right. But the second best day is now today right like you have your chance to like start start doing it now versus tomorrow or a month from now um and it's it's better to have it as you know yes you're gonna make mistakes but i'd rather have it be like a whoops (laughs) than like damn what if i would have actually given that a shot right so better a whoops than a what if um but yeah that's that's what i would say I like that a lot. Yeah. When I, um, I was really nervous to launch the podcast uh, because I kept thinking like, oh, I can make it better. I can think of this to do better or that. And then once I did launch it and I was editing the episodes, I realized like I was doing it for four months. Once I actually launched, I'd gotten better. And I was like, if I had just launched it sooner, then I could have improved on the editing, improved on the questions, improved on my approach. But Mm -hmm. I was really nervous and I'm trying to reflect on why. I think I was afraid that it wasn't good enough, that I would get rejected. And of course, anytime you put yourself out there, you get rejected. Um, And it's almost like when you're an entrepreneur or you're creating content, it's so much a part of you, right? It's different. Like if you're working for Google and Google does something, Mm -hmm. well, it's this big company that you were a part of. But like Toasted Life is is you, right? So did that ever come into play? Like, were you ever afraid, I guess is my question to, to do it. And if you were, how did you get over it? As a business, like operator and owner, you get tired of saying like one day, one day, one day versus like, no, like, fuck it. Like day one, yeah. <laughs> today is the day, right? Um, so when we were starting the business, me and Warren kept saying one day, <laughs> right? And we're like, this is a really cool idea. Let's give it a shot. But it's not a space that we're familiar with. We have no clue what we're doing, so we need to go and do our research. Um, I, I randomly came across a venue that was near my house in Oakland, and I'm like, how come I didn't know this place? It was like a half mile from my house. Like, clearly there's some, like, marketing issues, right? Or, you know, like, at least my circle didn't know about it. So I, I told Warren, like, hey, there's a really cool space, um, you know, and one day <laughs> we should go and check it out, right? He's like, no, like, fuck that. Like, let's go. And we are watching the Super Bowl game. I forgot who was playing. He's like, after the game, let's go and check it out. I'm like, all right, forget it. Let's go. So we pull up to the spot. And um, of course, it's a big venue. And there's no one there, right? Because it's not really a nighttime thing. And I mean, there's a bartender and like another guy floating around. And we started talking to the bartender. We're like, hey, just out of curiosity, like who owns this place? And she's like, oh, it's this guy over here. I'll go grab him. And, and like, literally, I was going to like jump over this counter. Like, oh, I don't grab him. Like, there's nothing for me to talk for us to talk about. Right. And then the guy comes and he's like, hey, what's up? I heard you guys want to talk to me. And I'm like, uh, I'm like looking at Warren. I'm like, what the hell do we do? 
So he takes us to a back room, like very stereotypical, like nightclub, like back room, right? And it's me and Warren. We're sitting on the same side, and the business owner is sitting like across from us. And again, it's like closed door. I think he had someone else in that room too. And um, we're like staring at this guy, like, what the hell are we going to talk about? But like, maybe this is our chance to just pitch him on something. So I started talking. Warren, like Warren's talking over me. I'm going like, you know, no cohesive pitch. We probably sounded like idiots. Uh, but, you know, the goal was we were definitely explaining that, you know, we wanted to build something and in the social space and we wanted to, you know, leverage venues to like, you know, bring these people together. And he's like, look, guys, like, whatever, <laughs> I'll give you a chance. And we're like, wait, what? Like, I'll give you my venue and, you know, show me what you guys can do. So, we like, I'm like kicking Warren on the table. Like, what do we just get ourselves into? And we walk out and we're like, we have to like go for this, right? And end of the day, like we know our, our circle will show up for us. You know, all the friends that we've, you know, had met. And, um, you know, that's enough, <laughs> right? So we gave it a shot. More than that showed up. Some of the people that showed up, they're like, do you do this every single week? And we're like, we don't even know what we're doing, <laughs> right? Um, oh, so... It just, you know, gets to the point of, yeah, you just can't keep deferring your your dream, right? I know, like, a passion that we share together is just, like, sports, right? And, you know, I'm always looking at your guys' social media and seeing all the little ones, like, playing soccer and golf and, you know, yes. all that. So what did you play in college? Um, I ran track in college. So, like, I actually walked onto the team, so I was um, – you know, I kind of at first sort of gave up on track a little bit, you know, like high school's done, let's go to, you know, it's time for college. I want to prove that, yeah, like I deserve to be on this team, you know, and uh, how it works, at least at a program is, you know, there's some legitimate cross-country runners. These guys are like from all over the world. They're like We got like Kenyan athletes. They're like Amazing. super off the chain. But for all the other folks, you know, we would kind of train alongside them a little bit to like prep for track. Right, like conditioning, this and that. So, like, you know, I was like, let me invest in this. Let's see, you know, what happened. And um, I eventually, yeah, got a scholarship by like what? just taking this. Oh my yeah, goodness, taking taking a shot. I think the cool thing about the program I was at, you know, wasn't I wasn't at Ohio State. I wasn't at, you know, UCLA or USC. Right, I was at like a mid-sized college or probably actually a small college. Um, and my coach was very focused on. Like, yes, you guys are here to compete, but like, I'm actually here to turn you guys into the best version of yourselves um, that you should be, right? So, and if you don't buy into that, I get it. But like, um, you know, I'm going to make you buy into it because if you're a school teacher and you're teaching my grandson, um, you better have your mind right. <laughs> or if you're mm -hmm. a lawyer and you're, you know, come across my family, like, I'm going to get you together whether you believe it or not, right? And most people don't buy into it. And eventually, you know, by the time we're graduating, like, oh, shit. Like, he, this was his plan, right? And um, every meeting, we would come together and he would ask, you know, imagine like 40 athletes in, in the room, right? There's freshmen, there's seniors. Yeah, again, people from all over the world. There's all these, a lot of Caribbean sprinters. We got athletes from Florida and Texas, you know, all over. And he would ask us, like, yeah, three or four questions. And the first one was, um, 
what is one thing that you admired about Breon? And Breon was an athlete that I actually never met. Breon was like a um, a recruit of ours, and he got a full ride, so he was like pretty, really, really athletic. And uh, Breon, you know, you start practice like summertime, right? So he lived in Georgia. He was commuting to the school, like training and stuff like that. And he eventually got in a car accident and actually died before mm-hmm. he could even like put on, you know, a jersey, right? So my coach was like, you know, maybe some of you guys have met him, right? Some of you guys haven't, but like, I want to make sure that you guys all continue his spirit on, right? So the first couple of months, I couldn't say anything because I'd never met him. But then I would hear these stories from these seniors. They would say like, hey, Brian, he, he never was late to practice or he let me borrow this or he picked me up from the train station or he would always, he had like, um, um, siblings that were younger and he would like go and pick them up like before practice and they would say like he was never late even though he had to go and run to this school and like drop his parents off or drop his uh, siblings off and then the next year thinking that we were over talking about Brian, we're talking about Brian again junior year we're talking about Brian again my senior year we're talking about Brian again like he would have been a senior with me yeah but it got to a point where not a single person in that room knew who this athlete was like really nobody in the room at that point knew who he was but before we competed our coach would make us sometimes pray and like we would like um you know shout out Brian, right so imagine being at georgia tech and we're about to compete and we're in a huddle and we're talking about a guy we never met right mm-hmm. but our coach knew that you know if we could believe in something or see his character like it would inspire us Right. Um, so I, that was like really unique. Right. And again, I could have went to a lot of big schools, but I don't think they really invest in you in some of those programs. Right. It's a little bit more transactional. Um, but that was just one question. <laughs> so the next, that was the next one. No, that's amazing. <laughs> I just like, it makes me, I love people so much and I, I love sports too. I mean, I know sometimes there's like dark mm-hmm. sides of sports, but this is like the beautiful part of it. Right. Of can you push yourself? Can you be part of a team? Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, what are you learning about yourself through this process and creating these like bonds with people? And mm-hmm. I love this coach too. Uh, he's, he's like, he deserves a lot because he's, he's, he's done a lot for people. Um, and I know we were almost at time, but the last two questions he would ask us is, what does it take to be a, a good man? Mm-hmm. And then the next one was like, what do you think before? And um, sometimes he would switch like good man to like a good like father, you know. And sometimes people would say like, "Hey, I didn't grow up with a father. Like, I don't know. Like, on to the next person, right?" And I'm like, he's like, "No, like, like what wasn't your father to you? Like, and if if he wasn't something to you, you know what you were missing. So you should be able to share with the group based on your experience. Like, what does it take to be a good, you know, father, a good man, right? And there's guys that some of these people with like super prestigious like prep schools in northeast you know united states some people were on the merge of like being homeless some people were kind of in the streets sometimes you know some people came from thorough countries so like just to be men right and to like have those conversations um you know it was really really powerful and people would cry you know some people would like kind of lose it a little bit but he wouldn't let you just say like a bullshit answer. Like someone let me 
the weather's good. Thank you. <laughs> right. Like that's what I'm thankful for. Like not like you would sit there and he would really push you to, to have this conversation. And I learned about these guys, like crazy stories that I didn't think that people even dealt with like that young. Um, and of course I'm at like an HBCU and, and most people think like, oh, there's no diversity at an all black college. But mm-hmm. it really showed me like, you know, like, damn, there's black Republicans in that room, Democrats, there's people with drastically different journeys, right? Um, and it made me really see people like for, for who they were and learned a lot. So, I wish I could have gone there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, I, I can't. I love to make exceptions for you, but <laughs> you can get me in. Um, no, but it, the takeaway for me was one, he really pushed on being vulnerable. And I think a lot of men, at least in our society, don't get those opportunities or don't get the practice. I think it's really powerful. And then the other thing is, he was coaching you all to make an affirmative choice of who you wanted to be. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll include myself in it. I'll just speak for myself. Sometimes I feel like I've gone through life in a reactive kind of way, sometimes living in fear. And he Mm -hmm. gave you opportunities to really reflect and say, like, I'm going to make a choice. I want to be this kind of person, regardless of what my past was. So, and you guys, you all were so young. So it was during formative years, your brains were still forming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I even had one athlete who, um, he was even a little bit older than us because he just had a rough, like journey. Of course, we would stay in hotels when we're traveling. And uh, I remember we were roommates one day and he's like, he he told the coach like, hey, someone else can have my bed because like I prefer to sleep on the floor. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, like to be honest, like I grew up like not sleeping in a bed. Right? I was homeless. So this is how I get my mind, right? Like sleep on the floor and let's not have the coach spend extra money and someone else can be in the bed. Hey, and baby. like just to, yeah, these are like young men who had to deal with stuff like this, you know, but um, that's why like I definitely have a lot of respect for the program that I was in, right? Like sometimes like, I'm like, damn, so I've been at a this big school and they would have really, you know, all these trainers, this and that. Uh, but I know exactly like why I was there and, and how it like turned me into like a better person. This is like a PSA for them. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to impact their recruiting numbers. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's awesome, Matt. That's, I agree with you. I think in some of these bigger schools, you become anonymous. And mm-hmm. like at Cornell, there was a lot of like mental health issues too, because it's so isolated mm-hmm. and it's so big and you're yeah. just a number, especially for people that were coming from international places, right? Like people like outside of the US. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like that's awesome. I'm glad you went there. I think it did shape you into the person that you are, right? Based on everything you're saying. So this is awesome. Thank you so much. Um, You're my, I really, 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 really view you as one of my brothers, whether you like it or not. (laughs) So We're family and hundred percent without a doubt. So tell your sister, thank you for sharing you with me. So, (laughs) and I hope I get to see you soon. For sure. Well, um, well, I know 50 countries, but uh, San Diego is on my list (laughs) too. Thank you, Matt. I love you. Bye. I'll see you soon. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to the One of a Kind podcast. This show was edited by my brother from the very same mother, Jose Duran. We have more episodes on the way, so please check us out wherever you get your podcasts.